Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, it's a, a sunny Sunday afternoon. Um, I've had a quiet weekend. The football was all cancelled because of the death of the Queen, and so my usual routine went out of the window. It's funny how easily you settle into routines. My weekend routine is all around uh, cooking nice food, relaxing, listening to football on the radio, playing a few games, seeing a few friends. If you plug out one ingredient of that, then if you're me and you, you kind of like routine a little, then you feel like something's missing. But it's not hard to fill time. Um, I've had a, a nice weekend, I've played some games, and I actually played one indie game from beginning to end this weekend. It was a short one, and it was a great one. I had an absolutely wonderful time with it. I'm excited to talk about this game with you all. This is um, a brand new Game Pass game called Tinykin. I had never heard of it before, and it just landed on Game Pass recently. I downloaded it right away, saw some buzz online, and I actually got through this one in two sittings. It was one of those games that just gets its hooks right into you, um, and I was just really excited to be playing it. It was such a good time. So the featured game of this episode will be Tinykin. And I normally do a little roundup of what I've been playing. I have one other game that I have been playing, which I will talk about shortly. That's Rogue Legacy 2. Um, it's a really fun one. It's gone under the radar a little, I think, because it's Xbox and PC only. But it's not on Game Pass, strangely. So it's one of those ones that is just kind of ring-fenced for a, a smaller group of players. But those who have played it have been liking it a lot. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Rogue Legacy 2 as well. But I thought I might start by just running through a few games that are coming up in the next few weeks. Um, I haven't added any new codes or buys to my um, my podcast long list this week, um, but I did do a little bit of research into what's coming out this year. I have like a running long list of like 30 to 50 games that I'm keeping an eye on, um, and I went through that list just to check what was coming out when, just to follow up on some release dates for promising games. And, and to be honest, most of them had been bumped back into next year. But I did end up making a document of just listed off in, you know, September, October, November, December, and then quarter one of 2023. And seeing as I've got it lying around, I thought I would just go through some of the games that are coming out this month. Um, it's something new for the show, really, to go through upcoming releases. But if you do like this section, then let me know and I'll do it again. So I've got four games here that are coming out in September, all of which have been on my radar for a while. The first one is Baron Breakfast. This has been out on PC and it is coming to Switch on September 15th. I was waiting for the Switch release because it looks like a Switch kind of game. It's a cozy hotel sim, a B&B Baron Breakfast, where you are a bear who is running a bed and breakfast um, and you have to manage your resources, deal with your guests, that kind of thing. It looks lovely. It's got a really nice crisp visual style. And apparently it's also got a bit of a spooky story going on in the background as well. Um, it has had some vague praise and um, it hasn't exactly set the world alight critically, but it's been well received, I would say. So I'm, I'm looking forward to trying out Bear and Breakfast. That one's coming out in just a couple of days now, next week in fact. Um, at the time of recording. Um, another one that's coming up is one that I've been waiting for for ages. It's another game that's been released on PC for a while and has in fact been in early access for much longer than that. For a couple of years I've been watching this one. 
Uh, some people have played it already. I know that the Time Played 3HR guys did a podcast on this one in early access, but it's finally coming to consoles. It's coming to Game Pass Day 1 on September 20th, and it is Hard Space Shipbreaker. This is the game where you are a zero-gravity mechanic who has to break down old spacecraft uh, using your trusty blowtorch and push and manoeuvre pieces of different pieces of the ship, whether that happens to be explosives or just siding or metal. You have to shepherd those pieces into the right uh, receptacles or areas in order to monetize them. You get paid for your work. Apparently there's a political layer to that game as well. I've been very excited about it. So Hard Space Shipbreaker. Um, I was so excited about this one that I made space on my little Xbox Series S and preloaded it. So I'll be playing that one on September 20th when it comes out. And the third game that I've got here that's coming out in September is Slime Rancher 2. Um, if you listened to last week's episode about Ooblets, you'll know that I've been really enjoying the first Slime Rancher game, much more so than I thought I would. It's a wonderful, um, easy, cosy, first-person farming sim in which you use a Luigi-style vacuum pack to hoover up slimes, to put them into pens, to crossbreed them, to feed them, um, to make them multiply, to farm resources from them, which you then turn into money and upgrade your farm and your equipment. Um, Slime Rancher 2 looks like a world of difference visually to Slime Rancher 1. Um, it just really looks glorious. It's really had a glow up. Um, and I'm hoping that they've built on some of the really promising um, systems in the central loop of Slime Rancher to make a more complex uh, version with a better paced story and that kind of thing. So I'm super excited for Slime Rancher 2, also coming to Game Pass on September 22nd. Um, and the last game on this list that's coming out in September is a game that another game that's been out on PC, but is finally coming to Switch. I tried to play it. It's um it's on Windows, and I run Windows on my Mac computer using a Parallels um, segment of my hard drive. Um, it's always a bit of a coin toss whether things work or not. Dorfromantic Dof did not work for me. Um, it's a little village builder where you use hexagonal tiles to match the different sides of the tile. For example, rock or houses or river. And you build out a village that kind of automatically generates based on how you're putting the tiles down. You have little challenges such as getting a certain amount of houses, building a certain amount of railway for which you get rewards and more tiles. It's very chill. It's very beautiful. You get to see your village grow with the smoke coming from the chimneys of your houses. You get to see forests grow and lakes appear. And you're really just building out a landscape in a very, very mellow style of gameplay. So I've been looking forward to Dorf Romantic. I've got a feeling that Switch is going to be the perfect place for it, especially as you're rotating tiles. I imagine they'll put that on the shoulder buttons. And then you can use the stick to choose where you want to plant your tile down. Um, it is um, a game that looks like it would work on a mouse, but I've got a feeling this one might translate particularly well to consoles and particularly well to Switch. It's going to be a very cosy handheld village builder. So that's Dorf Romantic, and that's out on Switch on September 29th. So those are the four games that I'm looking forward to most in the coming month, and I'll be playing all of those. You'll be hearing me talk about them again on the show. And I think you'll be hearing me talk more about Rogue Legacy 2 as well. I'm not going to do a full review of this one now. I have played about five or six hours of it. I get the feeling that I'm just scratching the surface. But I did want to give it a little shout out because I feel like it has not 
not kind of hit right for a game of this quality. Um, so Rogue Legacy 2 is a sequel, obviously, to Rogue Legacy, which was a pixel art roguelike, 2D roguelike, with some platforming, with very tight combat. Rogue Legacy 2 does away with the pixel art and instead has hand-drawn art. Um, it has a huge unlockable tree of different classes um, that are manifested as your castle. So you build different parts of your castle. It's like a little map and you will get Valkyries or uh, Rangers and these different classes kind of cycle through. So every time you die, you get given a different class. You can upgrade their weapons. Um, you're going through a castle trying to untangle a strange story of uh, invading this castle and trying to get to the heart of some dark story that's going on. The story is told in a kind of modular way, so you find books in different rooms. Um, it's a roguelike, so the castle is different every time. Um, your character is different every time. You get different weapons, different buffs, boons, magic spells, uh, ranged abilities. Um, you'll get loads of different little fine-tune um, tweaks to your character. For example, you can pick up things that will make you knock away enemies, which is great if you're getting mobbed and changes your play style. You might get explosive projectiles with an area of effect, which changes the way you play the game again. Um, and so I think maybe more than any roguelike that I've played, this one really does feel different from run to run, um, especially because you can't just pick your favorite class and run with it. You are given a different um, class every time, or at least a choice of three, but there are lots and lots and lots of different classes. So maybe your favorite doesn't come up, you know. Um, I enjoyed playing as the Ranger because it allowed me to stay far away from enemies and not get hit as much. But sometimes you just get a Barbarian or a Warrior or a Duelist. And so you have to pick an unfamiliar class, which takes you out of your comfort zone and also rewards you for putting experience points into all of the different classes. So you're going to have to play as them. You might as well uh, spend the money that you get in your dungeon runs upgrading all of the classes. Um, and learning the ins and outs of them. Um, so there's a real nice variety there. Um, this game is balls hard, I would say. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. Um, I felt quite firmly put in my place after my first couple of runs. Um, enemies come at you in interesting ways. There are enemies that charge you. There are enemies with ranged attacks. There are different um, mixtures of enemies. And when you start, you're pretty weak and you will die in just a few hits. Um, there's not a lot of health to be found scattered throughout the dungeons. So health management is key. Um, sometimes you'll find rooms that you can't progress through yet because you don't have the right ability. Um, and in Rogue Legacy, if you unlock an ability, for example, an air dash or the ability to um, move differently through the air, for example, to get to high ledges, um, those abilities will stay unlocked. So I guess the pedant um, in the listenership will call it a rogue light. I don't think that's necessarily a useful distinction here. People know what roguelike means, but there is a lot of um, stuff that carries over in this game in a really pleasing way. So no run feels wasted. You always come back with some gold and you can invest that gold into advancing your classes, um, powering up your weapons, opening up a blacksmith and then spending money upgrading your starter weapons. Um, your characters have a weight allowance, so you can't just use all the best gear. You have to kind of pick and choose. Um, and then that's a stat that you can also upgrade in your castle is your weight allowance by putting in a gym. 
so your characters can carry more fancy equipment. So there's a lot going on in this game. The gameplay is crisp and snappy. I have passed the first boss and I've been into the second area, um, which I think is pretty solid progress for someone like me who is not a skilled game player, um, not a skilled gamer in that kind of Dark Soulsy way. Um, but I've managed to find my way into this one. I've managed to find the rhythm of this game. And I've got a feeling that anyone that enjoyed Hollow Knight, anyone that enjoyed Dead Cells, um, anyone that enjoyed Hades would really, really enjoy Rogue Legacy 2. Um, that's all I'll say about it for now. I might come back to this one. Um, I'll let you guys know how I'm getting on with it. Um, as I say, for now, it's only on the Xbox and on PC. Um, runs flawlessly on my Xbox Series X. Uh, that's Rogue Legacy 2. Um, and before we get on to Tinykin, let me just say briefly that this is a patron-supported show. We have a wonderful Discord community. We've got um, a bunch of different conversations going at the moment. Uh, one community member is playing through Inscription, so we've been chatting a lot about that game, about strategies and the brokenness of the card game, um, and the frustration of the Inscription, but also about its vast quality. So there's been a debate going about that. Everyone's been talking about the new... Assassin's Creed announcements, Assassin's Creed Mirage has been talked about a lot, um, and people have been talking about their favourite Assassin's Creed games. There's always some good lively conversation there. Um, if you do become a patron, you'll get to join that Discord, you'll get bonus episodes of the show. I recently released one about Icelandic travel and music, about my time travelling around Iceland. Um, it's an off-topic podcast, but it had a really nice response. So if you would like to hear that podcast and join our community, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Thanks very much to all of my existing patrons, and thanks to you if that's something that you're up for considering. I'm looking to upgrade my mic and my mic arm and make this podcast sound better soon, so any new patrons that come along will be directly contributing to the show, making it sound better. Um, I really appreciate that, so thanks everyone. And with all of that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of this episode, Tinykin. So Tinykin is a game that came out on August 30th of this year. It came out on Game Pass, which is where I played it. It's a 2022 game. It's by Splash Team, a French developer I hadn't heard of before. They have one other game under their belt um, called Splasher from 2017. And on the strength of Tinykin, I will certainly be looking that game up. It's published by Tiny Build who um, have published an awful lot of games, most of which I hadn't heard of, but I did recognise a few names. Um, Hello Neighbour and Totally Reliable Delivery Service are games that Tiny Build publish. Um, the music is lovely in this game, so I want to give a little shout-out to Alexis Lejeux, um, who made this beautiful, like, orchestral, slightly jazzy, um, really enjoyable, rich soundtrack. It, it, it varies between... Um, Things like the Mars Attacks um, sound, which I guess you can hear a little bit of now with that singing saw. Um, and the music in this game moves in phases as well, based on what you're doing. So it will switch from a quiet refrain to an upbeat version to a full anthemic version if the gameplay is really um, kicking off. Um, and, and the whole thing really powers the game along and gives it an extra shine. So great job on that, Alexis Lejeux. Um, it's out on PlayStation, it's out on Steam, it's out on Switch. And it is an Xbox Day One game. Um, I played it on the Xbox Series S, 
where it ran close to flawlessly, um, a couple of frame stutters, um, and I had one bug, single bug, in my whole uh, playthrough. So this is a pretty clean game. I think this development team deserves a lot of praise for what they've pulled off here. It's just so quality. It's got such a high sheen to the whole thing. Um, a real joy to play. Um, I've heard that it runs pretty well everywhere. Some people said they got a couple frame uh, drops on PlayStation and on Switch, um, but for me it was absolutely fine. How Long To Beat says that this one clocks in at six to nine hours. I came in at seven and was fairly close to 100%ing it actually. Uh, Metacritic has this one at a high 90 on Xbox, 81 on PC, 82 on PlayStation and 84 on Switch. So it's been well received by the media. Um, and the developers describe it like this. Milo arrives on Earth to find that he's way too small, everybody's gone, and a day hasn't passed since 1991. Catch hundreds of tiny kin and use their unique powers to bring Milo back to his home planet and back to normal size. And my description of this one is that it's a joyful, exhilarating 3D platformer that pays homage to the simple, breathless fun of Paper Mario and Pikmin and matches, if not surpasses them. So I've got a lot of high praise for this game. Um, this is one of those games that comes out of nowhere and just got my full attention. And there's been a lot of attempts over the years to try and um, replicate the kind of joyous, fun and slick gameplay that Nintendo gives you, that colorful feeling and that effortless gameplay. It's been tried many times, most people fail. Occasionally you get a breakthrough game that gets there. For example, I would say Astrobot Rescue Mission is a Sony's attempt. Um, and games like, I would say Super Lucky's Tale is pretty close. It's got a few rough edges, but it's got that golden age of 3D platform and that cartoony innocence that just puts a smile on your face and, and keeps it there. And this game does a tremendous job of, of summoning that, that wonderful Nintendo innocence that we all love so much, at least I do. So what is this game all about? Uh, you play in this game as Milo. Uh, Milo is a human archaeologist and researcher who lives on humanity's home planet of Aegis, according to what they teach you in school, in his own words. However, through his research, he's come to suspect that humanity is not actually from Aegis and originated elsewhere in the universe. And so in the short intro, which is like a cartoon sequence, he starts to scout the stars for clues. He finds a signal from a nearby planet and he teleports there to investigate and you're straight into the game. And the way that this game works is that there is a little cartoon sequence occasionally, like um, a literal cartoon, and then you're back into gameplay. It never holds you up. The cutscenes are a nice length um, and it gives the whole thing a very bright and breezy feeling. And Milo arrives in on Earth in a house. It's a giant house. It's got a Honey I Shrunk the Kids kind of vibe to it. Um, you're down on the giant um, planks of the floor. If you look left and right, you can see playing cards that are five times your height. You can see rulers, pencils. You can see piles of fluff and debris and dust. A giant staircase that looks like it was made for a colossus. But it really looks like any basic home. Um, it really looks like a 1990s home. You'll see familiar devices, um, but it all looks huge and you feel absolutely tiny. It's a very crisp, smooth 3D environment. It reminds me of something like It Takes Two, I would say, but then the characters are 2D illustrations. So it has that Paper Mario 
look. So as you turn, your character basically always faces you. The characters are 2D, the world is 3D. It's a familiar style from Paper Mario. Um, you're greeted by an insect called Ridme. It's the same size as you, so you are insect-sized in this game. And Ridme explains that this giant house is home to various species of insects, and everyone worships someone called Arwen, an unseen deity, um, and they're constantly in states of disagreement with each other. There are several species of insects occupying different rooms of the house. And there is also something called Tinykin. And Tinykin are, in effect, a little bit like Pikmin. Like, you'll pick them, they'll follow you around, you can use them to do stuff. Um, but they look like little germs, like little cartoon germs. Um, and they usually ignore all of the insects, but they flock to Milo and follow him around, and he can use them to do things. Um, and Ridme says this is going to come in very handy because he's trying to find a series of artifacts to make a mysterious device. Um, it's from one of Arwin's blueprints found on his desk, and Ridme has been studying it and he's trying to build this device. But all of the things he needs are scattered throughout the different rooms of this house, being guarded by different kinds of insects. And he says that with the help of the Tinykin and with your ability to herd them and to use them, you are the perfect person to help Ridme finish the blueprint, build the device, and just see what happens. It's a simple story that is actually told probably in the game in less time than I just spent telling it to you. But this isn't a story-led game. The story is very snappy. Um, it's all about the gameplay, really. You could just click through it and still have a riot in this game. Um, and that's because the gameplay is absolutely awesome in this game. So I'm going to break down exactly why I had so much fun with this one and why I'm so in love with it. Um, and I'm going to start with the controls. Um, this game is very, very crisp and responsive. Um, the movement feels fluid and easy, and the second that you begin, you understand what you're doing. It feels great to move around in the space. Um, the run speed is nice. Um, Milo's jump is awesome. It's like a perfect Mario crisp little hop. Um, and you would think that making a video game character jump might be a simple thing, but as we know from playing you know, tens and scores and hundreds of platformers. Um, it's not that easy, but they absolutely nail it here. Um, you can also glide. So if you are jumping through the air, you hold down a button and you can float through the air in a soap bubble just for a short distance at first, but you can uh, buff that up and level it up throughout the game. Um, you can also skate. Um, Milo is given a bar of soap um, and he can drop that and he can just skim across the floor at high speed. He can uh, grind on things. He can jump on the board and board flip with a, a, a nice little animation. Um, so it's very satisfying to move around this space. You're always gliding, you're jumping, you're board flipping, you're uh, traversing at high speed and it just feels wonderful to, to move around this game. Um, the other main mechanic is tinykins. You find them, you pick them. And before you know it, you have a little flock of tinykins of different colours that can do different things. You can throw them, you can aim them, um, and the tinykins are like a little swarm that follow you around. Um, and that's a really nice mechanic too. Um, I'll go into why all of these things work so well a little later, but that's the basic uh, gameplay here. Uh, it's very snappy, it's very satisfying, it's very immediate, instantly fun. I knew what I was doing within seconds, and I just had a feel for the game, you know. Um, the tutorialization is perfect. You, you never feel lost with the controls. Um, and it reminds me of a few games that I've played lately. Um, it brought to mind Psychonauts 2, actually, which is a game that I really liked, but Psychonauts 2 came with a little bit of awkwardness in the controls. 
I often felt that I would fall um, when I wasn't expecting to fall. I would often feel that my character missed jumps, that it was hard to judge sometimes, that catching onto ledges didn't work always. Um, but none of that awkwardness is present here. Everything is just perfect. This is how I wished that Psychonauts 2 had played. And I really liked Psychonauts 2. It made my Games of the Year list that year. Um, it also reminds me of Paper Mario Origami King, um, but it's so much more fluid and you feel so much more mobile than in that game. In that game, you really just run around and you can hammer and jump. That's kind of your lot, really. Um, this game has faster, smoother, slicker, more effortless movement. Um, you can cover space quickly. Um, and there are lots of different modes of movement. So it feels like it improves on Paper Mario, um, which might sound sacrilegious to big fans of that series. But trust me on this. If you like Paper Mario, you're going to love Tiny Ken. Um, also, obviously, it, it takes a lot of inspiration from Pikmin. But Pikmin is a, a bit of a quirky game. You know, I'm a big Pikmin fan, and I will admit that there are a lot of frustrating edges in Pikmin. Um, this game takes out some unnecessary... Um, controls and mechanics that really slow Pikmin down. I would say one of the main ones is that you don't ever have to flick between the different kinds of Tinykin that you have, like you do in Pikmin. The game just decides, based on context, which kind of Tinykin you need. So, for example, if you're looking at something that is explodable, you will automatically throw the kind of Tinykin that will explode it. If you're looking at something that needs to be picked up, with an auto-aim that just snaps onto targets around you effortlessly, it will automatically throw the strong kind of Tinykin. You never have to manually switch. Um, if you've played Pikmin, you'll remember that your Pikmin are always wandering off, and it's very easy to lose them. In, in this game, if you use the summoning whistle, um, it will bring back your Tinykin from anywhere in the game world. So that frustrating thing of having stragglers that get lost is just completely taken away. Just genius decision, really and one of many in this game. Um, they also move around in a kind of a semi-airborne crowd. So as you move around, they just automatically flock to you. They don't get stuck anywhere. They're not um, confined by getting stuck in corners or pathfinding, you know, the janky pathfinding of Pikmin where your Pikmin might try and walk around stuff and just walk into water and do silly things. None of that here. They just flock to you. Um, at any time, you can just hit the whistle and they will all come right back to you with no effort at all. So I would say that this game is actually everything that I wanted Pikmin to be. And I say that as a Pikmin fan. Um, this game just builds on what Pikmin and Paper Mario did um, and improves on it in many ways. And, you know, that's that's high praise. We're talking about Nintendo here. Um, and Tinykin is, is definitely in the ring with those games. It's a real joy. It's, it's just a very well put together game and it is just incredible fun at all times. And I've been trying to think about what this game gets so right. Um, and the word that kept coming into my mind is convenience. Um, I think that this game does an incredible job of reducing any moments of friction, uh, moments of frustration. Um, all of the game players had all of the edges sanded off, all of the rough edges are just gone. Everything feels fluid and easy and the controls just do what you want them to do um, in a way that is very simple. Um, but, you know, we know that that's anything but simple. If the gameplay feels that way, it's because um, hundreds or thousands of tiny decisions have been made to make it feel that way. So 
I'm just a little bit in awe of what a great job they did with this one. Um, and there are, there are lots of conveniences in this game. Um, for example, there is no health bar in this game. Um, falling too far will kill you, um, but you can tap glide at the bottom of um, a long fall and just, just for a second and you'll just land like a feather. Um, if you do die from full damage, um, you'll return to where you jumped from instantly, not where you fell to. So if you're in the middle of a giant platforming challenge and you fall a long way and die, in a lot of games you'd have to do that challenge again. In this game you just snap back to where you last jumped from um, and you're straight back into the game and that's just such a wonderful convenience. Um, water kills you in this game, like in Spyro the Dragon, but there isn't that much water. I don't really like instant death flaws usually in games, um, but there's hardly any of it here, and you get the instant restart right where you were. Um, there are no lives. There are no restart points, like little flags or anything. You just pop right back into the game right where you were, um, and you're back in the game within seconds. Within a second, you're straight back to it. There is zero frustration or grind or repetition. Um, you just have this constant, incredible feeling of fun and exploration and discovery. Um, there's no combat in this game, it's something that I found very refreshing. It's another choice that I think was a really good one. You know, like in Mario, you're obviously bouncing on things that kill you, you have aggressors. In Pikmin, you had to have combat where you throw your Pikmin at enemies. This game just does away with all of that stuff, so none of that friction is there, you're just free to, to run wild, really. Um, and you can't lose your Tinykins, they never die like they do in Pikmin, where you have to go and farm Pikmin to try something out if it goes wrong. Uh, where if you if you aren't back at the ship in time for sunset, then you'll lose your all your Pikmin, and it can be a real blow if you're playing Pikmin. It's a total bummer. That just doesn't happen here. The Tinykins never die. Um, but when you go to a new area, you'll always start with no Tinykins, so you have to build a new flock in every area. But if you go back to another area that you've been in already, your existing flock will just be waiting for you there. So um, it's a lovely feeling of building up your flock of Tinykins um, it's a fun mechanic and it lets you do that again and again in a very well-considered way. There are just so many good decisions in this game, so many decisions made right. It feels like it's had a very clear-eyed um, design and it feels like lots of little things that could have been frustrating along the way were just torn out if they weren't useful. If they didn't serve you having fun, then they are not in the game. Um, and so I want to give huge praise to the studio for, for doing such a great job with the gameplay. And as I was starting to say, there is a gameplay loop to this game. So you have a hub area where the lab is. This is where you're bringing the artifacts that you find to try and build the contraption that is at the center of the game. Um, there are other things to do there, so it's like a little hub. Um, and whenever you start going to a new area, a vent will open, an air vent. The camera will zoom there and then zoom back to you, so you have your bearings, you know where you're going next. And off you go, you go up to an air vent, you get a little loading screen. Um, the loading times are really quick, on Xbox at least, and then you're into the next area. And the game is divided up into the rooms of the house, so you start off in the hallway, um, you'll end up going through the bedroom, you'll end up going through a bathroom and a kitchen, but they are all on such grand scale, um, and they're so vertical because of your, your miniaturized size, um, that the house just feels huge, it's very vertical. Um, that again gives it that Psychonauts kind of surrealism, um, and that Honey I Shrunk the Kids appeal 
of the giant blades of grass and the giant pencils and just being a tiny little borrower in a, in a giant human-sized house. There is just like an intrinsic magic to being like a little fairy-sized being in a, in, a, in a giant house that way. Um, so you start off having to build up your tinykins. You run around, you find little eggs everywhere. If you touch them, they pop and the tinykins just start following you immediately. Um, no kind of uh, pulling them out animation like in Pikmin. So again, it's been speeded up from Pikmin. Um, and you need to build up their numbers. Um, you need to build up the numbers of your tinykin. So you start off basically doing reconnaissance of um, an area. Um, you run around, you find little eggs, you pop them open. You start to meet the people or insects rather, that inhabit each area. Um, there are, for example, an area with beetles, an area with um, silverfish, lots of different little insect cultures. Everyone's got a word for you. You can talk to any of the NPCs and they'll give you little light bits of world building. And you'll start to meet the key characters in each area and they'll tell you what is up in that biome or in that room. And they'll start to tell you what the objects are that you need to go and collect, what's going on in each area. The example I'm going to use here was one of my favorites. It was in the bathroom area. Um, some silverfish have been partying. Their party has been shut down and they won't hand over the object that you need until you get the party started again. Um, they will use that camera trick. So the camera will zoom to the things that you need to get and then zoom back to you. So you always have your bearings. You can hit the R stick um, and you will pull up your binoculars that can zoom in and out. Um, and icons will appear in the binocular view. So if you lose your bearings, you can usually use the binoculars to get back on track or see what you're supposed to be doing. And in the example that I'm giving of the bathroom, for example, they need a torch to shine onto their mirror ball. Um, you go and find the torch. It includes platforming, it includes climbing, it includes navigating this vertical world. You finally get to the torch and you can use your strong tinykins if you have enough. You throw them at that torch and they carry it back to the mirror ball. Um, they might have to overcome some objects, this little uh, line of ants that is carrying that torch. So you might have to build bridges for them and that kind of thing to get them down in that Pikmin style. The music is also off at the party, so you have to use your little electrical tinykins to create circuits. And this is very really fun. Um, you'll uncover power sockets and then you can create a little line of um, tinykins that can conduct electricity and they'll create a little circuit. And sometimes it's a bit of a puzzle, like where's this circuit gonna go um, to get to that stereo and power it up. Then you have your little exploding tinykins that can blow obstacles out of the way. They can blow up rocks for resources, things like that. Um, and there are more types of tinykin that I won't spoil here because part of the fun of the game is just discovering what's on offer. But they're all perfectly implemented. You get a new tinykin in every room of the house, the six different rooms. Um, and that really ramps up the gameplay. So you end up using your different tinykins in different combinations to solve light puzzles, I would say. It's not a puzzle game where you're going to be scratching your head, really. Um, it's very light. You, you just breeze through it, really, using your... At least I did. So it could be the case that um, these puzzles just spoke to me um, and my brain worked well for them, you know. And whenever there are puzzles in video games, there are going to be some folks who just see the solution uh, magically and instantly, and some folks that do not. But my feeling is that in Tinykin, um, people are going to... Most people are going to have a good time with this one. I don't think that there are many roadblocks there. And in each area, when you've completed all of the necessary tasks, usually three, four, five different tasks, something fun will happen. For example, in the bathroom, you get to see the party restarting. So you get a tiny little cartoon cutscene. 
um, and then you get your item, take it back to the workshop hub. It's plugged into the device, which is being built up for your work. And then on you go to the next one. There are also some side quests and optional activities. You can also collect blobs of pollen that are everywhere and trade them in. Um, and when you hit the target of having enough pollen, it's just a little collectible that you'll find everywhere, a little yellow blob floating in the air. You can trade those into a little, um, a guy that processes it into mead or spirits of some kind. And that lets you float for longer in the air. So it powers up your floating. Um, and there are little missions inside of each uh, room where that's going to come in very handy. There are also three optional side quests in every area. For example, retrieving lost jewellery is a recurring theme, um, or replacing missing animal toys in an empty zoo is one of the, the things. You have to find all of the animals dotted around the area. Um, three of those in every room. They're really fun, um, and your reward for those is an Arwen artifact that is beamed back to the hub. Um, and when you go back to the hub, if you've collected all of those artifacts, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, a little bit like in Pikmin, when they find like a comb and they try and guess what it is, like this giant plastic saw must have been used for something violent or something like that. Like the Pikmin misinterpreting um, the objects of humanity is a big part of the humour of that game. And there's a little bit of that present here. Um, they are interpreting the, uh, the legacy of Arwen, their deity, who used to inhabit this house through his belongings. Um, and so you can build up that collection and you get a few lines of dialogue from the curator and it helps you to flesh out what happened in this house and how this insect society interprets the things that they find here. And I would also like to give a shout out to the level design. Um, it's very, very vertical. It's got that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibe. When you get somewhere high, you can break rocks to lower ropes or string webs across the middle of the room, for example, connecting to a lampshade. And that starts to allow you to just zip line around um, using your little soap bar. So you can just grind across these uh, strands of web. And before you know it, you've really opened up what seemed like a very inaccessible area to just be very, very um, navigable. And you're zipping around from side to side. You're climbing all of the time. There are different mechanics that let you get higher in different ways that I won't spoil. Um, because again, the mechanics are a big part of the game. I really enjoyed discovering what was new in every room. Um, but the level design is just wonderful. I will mention Psychonauts 2 again, because that also had very rich vertical um, 3D levels. In Psychonauts 2, you were moving through people's dreams, and so it was very surreal. But in Psychonauts, I often found myself a little confused about where to go next. I found myself looking around for visual cues, going circles of the arena. That just doesn't happen in this game. Um, the visual design of the game led my eye to where I needed to be. Everything was very readable. There are strings of fairy lights that just draw the eye to where you're supposed to go. There are flashes of color, uh, lanterns, that kind of thing. Um, book spines forming tempting stairways. And you can just read the environment very easily. Um, and that visual design really made the traversal pop. Um, I would say that I felt very free in this game. I felt like I could just navigate so easily. Um, the traversal is just so slick and fun that it made playing the whole thing just, just a real joy. Um, if, you're moving, if you're having fun moving around and moving through a game, then half the battle is won, as I always say. If you're having fun at all times just by moving, then that's really going to help with your overall enjoyment of the game, um, and it really helped here.
So I'll run through some of the good and very short bad things about this game now, as I always do. Um, the good things about this game, there are zero bugs. I, I had, well, I had one bug, just it's a completely clean game. The one bug that I had, I got stuck under an object. I quit out of the game and started again from the title screen and it took me back to the exact spot where I was with the exact amount of tasks complete. It was seamless um, and that was one bug in a six, seven hour game. Um, congratulations to this team on making such a clean game. Um, the slick, perfect gameplay is just outstanding. Um, Nintendo would be proud of this stuff, um, and this team should be too. It's just an absolute joy to play it. The utterly enjoyable traversal. Um, everything feels rewarding. For example, when you're grinding, there's like a cool electric flash that pops up. Uh, when you're gliding, you get that bubble popping animation. Whenever you pick anything up, you get uh, visual effects that really make you feel like you've done something. It's that feeling of always being rewarded that reminds you of something like Forza Horizon, where you're just driving around doing your thing, but you're just being rewarded constantly. Um, this game has that feeling. It's just gratifying to play. Um, the level design is flawless. Um, it's wonderful. The verticality is great. Um, I love the fresh artwork style. The house looks great, and the individual character sprites are really fun. Um, I love that the story is present, but it's not too heavy, um, and that there is fun dialogue if you want it. You can talk to anyone, and there is just light world building going on at all times. It's cosy, and it has a villagey feel to it. It's so fun meeting all of the different insects, learning about their different cultures, different recurring characters with fun personalities. Um, the music of this game is wonderful too. It's just a really nice Disney-ish sort of sound. It's reassuring, comforting, bright, catchy melodies, lovely production values. They've done a great job with the music and the sound. And that helps to create like a joyful overall vibe that just permeates this game. I would say that the length is really good too. Six, seven hours is perfect. And every room gives you a new mechanic as well as a new um, sub story. Um, so you're doing something new and learning about a new kind of insect in a new environment on every single level. Um, and it felt great, like nothing got tired. I was going to say that it managed to keep me amused, but actually it just kept me delighted for the whole duration of the game. Um, it's just a quality production from end to end. Honestly, it's just a joy. I fully recommend this one. As for the bad things, um, I've got a very short list here. I would say that the story for what it is is a little bit tangled. Um, by the time I got to the, the ending of the game, um, I didn't quite get it. I had to watch the intro again. I'd kind of forgotten what Milo was doing um, and the Arwin um, stuff. Um, and I watched the intro again and I was like, oh yeah, that's what I was supposed to be doing. But honestly, that doesn't really matter here. And I've got two very minor quibbles that um, I'll mention them, you know, in, in, the, in the name of being authentic and just giving my full opinion here. Um, so there are some tiny kins that you can stack into climbable columns um, and the way that I was doing this was to aim using the L, uh, L2 button and then fire using the R2 button uh, to build the column and then going over to climb afterwards. Turns out you don't really have to do that. If you just hit the fire button, they'll start stacking right beneath your feet and lift you up um, so you can judge when it's time to jump. Um, and that really speeds up the game. It really speeds up the traversal. It's another one of those decisions that's been taken here to just make movement and gameplay um, fun, easy, slick at all times. So what I'm actually doing is praising them in the negative section here. But I didn't realize that I could just fire those tiny kins and didn't have to build a column, then climb it. I could just 
immediately insta climb it. So I don't know if I missed that bit of tutorialization, but that's the one thing that I discovered accidentally halfway through the game and thought, oh, I could have been moving a lot faster this whole time. Um, the only other thing I've got here is that if you've played Pikmin, you'll know that if you throw 20 Pikmin at a thing and then they start carrying it, they go quite slow. Um, in this game, there is a really cool um, sort of ghost path that you can see that shows you where they are going. But if you don't want to walk alongside them, let's say um, something caught your eye, you spotted a bit of high pollen that you missed and you think, I'm going to get that now before I forget it. Um, sometimes the tiny can go on, off on their path um, and then I didn't know where they'd gone. Um, and I, I was supposed to go to where they were to collect my reward. A couple of times I didn't know where they were. The camera didn't do that snap thing that it does so often to lead you back to where you're supposed to be. So there were a couple of times where I ended up doing like a couple minutes just doing routes of the room looking for the point I was supposed to be at. But honestly, it's, um, it is a solved problem in this game. You know, the camera snapping from where you are supposed to go to where you are is a mechanic that is throughout this game. And so it was only about twice in the game that that didn't happen. And that's it. That's all of the downsides I could think of. They are quibbles. They are seriously just quibbles. So to sum up, I think that Tinykin is as close to a perfect game as I've played this year. Um, for me, it's a 10 out of 10. If it was by Shigeru Miyamoto, this would be being hailed as a masterpiece. And I kind of think it should be anyway. Um, something that came to mind was that in the, the Gaming in the Wild Discord server recently, uh, we were having a conversation triggered by someone playing through Inscription, and we got into the topic of gameplay versus uh, conceptual or thematic content. Because, for example, like Inscription is very rough around the edges. Um, it's a little bit broken intentionally. Um, it's a little bit confounding and obtuse sometimes. And it's all part of the game. Same in games like Outer Wilds. It can be very frustrating and obtuse, but there's so much gravitas to the whole game that you kind of battle through anyway. And then there are games that are just purely about gameplay, that, that nostalgic old style Nintendo gameplay where it's all about the gameplay. It's about moment to moment fun. Um, and we got into a good conversation about that. And I would say that Tinykin is, um, in recent times, the game I've played that has the best gameplay, the best moment to moment gameplay. It's simple, nostalgic, joyous video game. Uh, it doesn't try to do anything more or be anything more. So if you're someone that enjoys that pure, simple video game fun, then give this game a try. I couldn't recommend it more. That's Tinykin. So that's Tinykin. That's our episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about it. Um, I would love to hear from people who have played this game. I've been posting out some clips from it. Absolutely loved this one. If you'd like to see a couple of memorable moments that I had, just gliding over water, just collecting things, just stacking my Tinykin and jumping from book spine to book spine, I posted a few clips on my Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube. You can find the show anywhere. There are links to all of that at gaminginthewild.com. 
I'm always on Twitter. That's the main place to find me. If you've got a game you would like to hear about on this show, then please do hit me up. Let me know what you thought of Tinykin. Let me know if you think that it's better than Pikmin. Let me know if you think this is a Nintendo standard game. I'd also like to say a thank you to everyone that rates this show on Spotify or leaves a review on Apple Podcasts. I see them all. I really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to go all the way and become a patron of the show and join our Discord, get bonus episodes and support the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. That's it from me this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Maybe I will have gotten through Rogue Legacy 2 um, enough to talk about it more. Maybe I will finally crack into Immortality, a game that I've been really looking forward to. Um, as I was saying in the intro, we've got loads of good games coming up this month. We've got Bear and Breakfast, Hard Space, Shipbreaker, Slime Rancher 2, Door for Romantic on Switch. Loads of good games coming up. I'll be talking about them all. Thank you very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. And bye-bye for now. <laughs>